Amen. So as you, as you know, we've been journeying through the story of David this summer, and uh, this is our seventh message, and it's the story where David brings the Ark of the Covenant of God's presence into Jerusalem as the king of Israel, and it's a kind of interesting, it's really sort of two stories put together, uh, but it's the, the core of it is, it's in 2 Samuel 6, if you are going to turn there, um, we'll have it up on the screen. And it's just the whole chapter. Um, and really what I want to see, what, what the main focus of this is for both of these parts of the story are kind of how we relate to the presence of God. Um, how we relate to God, how we encounter his presence, what happens to us in that place, and what that's like. And it's going to be, a, it's a challenge. I think that parts of this, uh, the, what we encounter in this story are probably a particular challenge to us in our culture right now. So I kind of want us to pay attention because there's a good chance that part of it will be offensive, <laughs> but it's in a, in a way that would challenge us to be more understanding of who God is, okay? So here's just a little bit of the story. So David's the king now, and if and the ark of God's presence, which we'll get into a little bit, um, has been kept... Outside of his, like outside of Jerusalem, and he's ready. Like, let's bring it in the in. Like, let's make this right. You know, let's bring the Ark of God's presence back into the city. This is going to be great. It's a big celebration. So they get decide. Let's go get it. You know, and this is back from Moses' time. Which again, I'll read you some about that as we go through this. But it's a big deal. This is the presence of God. And so, starting in verse one, David again brought together all the young men of Israel, thirty thousand. That's a lot of people. He and all his men went to Bela and Judah. To bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty. And listen to this. Who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So this is a big, big deal, right? So just to remember, I have a couple photos. Um, This is the ark of the covenant that was built by uh, Moses and Aaron. These are my photos. I had to get off my phone because the internet didn't work. Uh, And go to the next one. And it was part of the tabernacle. And, you know, it was... All these instructions, they're, they're in a couple different books of the Old Testament. You see it in Exodus, you know, in Leviticus, Numbers, these things. Um, you might be familiar with this from um, Indiana Jones. That is the same arc. I don't know how much they actually got right in the movie, but part of it I'll reference in a second. But that's what it looks like. And see the two angels on the top, the cherubim, that's like literally where in some of the rituals they were instructed by God to do. That was like the spot where the presence of God rested on the earth. This is big, big deal stuff. And there was curtains separating different sections and sacrifices that had to be made. And you didn't just play around with this stuff, right? So David and all the 30,000 guys were like, let's go get that, which represents God's presence being with them, which how many of us want God's presence with us in our lives, right? Okay, exactly. So they're like, let's go, let's do that. Like what Angela was just saying, I need revival in my life. You need revival in your life. I need this in my life, you know. So they're like, let's go and get that in our lives, right? Um, a couple scriptures about the ark. Uh, well, what, what was inside of it? I just want to give a little bit of background just so we know what we're talking about. So in Exodus 25, you see this. Then you shall put the atoning cover on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I give you. There, will, there I will meet with you from above the atoning cover, from between the two cherubim. You remember we just read that in the other scripture. 
which are upon the ark of, of the testimony, I will speak to you about every commandment that I will give to you for the sons of Israel. And so inside the ark of the covenant, which was like, it was like a box, it was a wooden box covered in gold with a golden cover on the top and all. And it had the, cop, the tablets of the commandments in it. It had a rod, like one of the times there's a story where the guys challenge Aaron and they throw their staffs down and Aaron's rod buds. And they're like, yeah, I guess he's the guy, you know. So they put that in there and then also a jar of manna to remember. Um, and it's all these things about God's presence, provision, and all that sort of thing. This word presence that we keep talking about is actually a Hebrew word, pene, which means face. And so it's kind of like God's face, kind of. And I was trying to think of a good way to describe this. And this was the only thing I came up with. Um, and it, I, it strikes me, it is a flawed metaphor, but I think you'll get what I mean by this. You know, like, because God is different than us. He's God, and we're, hum- we're finite humans. He's omnipresent, omniscient, and all these sort of things, and we're not. So this is where this metaphor breaks down a little bit. But when I talk about, like, the face of something or the presence of somebody, you go, well, what do exactly I mean by that? You know, there's, like, the time... <laughs> I left my phone. I can't illustrate this. The... Uh, you know when you're in the room with someone and they're like this? Like you're in their presence, right? But it's very different than when they go, you see what I'm saying? I think that difference is kind of what we're talking about here, okay? But God is not, you know, negligent like, you know, you see what I'm saying. So, but that difference between the, eh, and the, eh, this is what we're talking about. Um, because God is omnipresent, like I said, he's different than us. He also is covenantally present. You know, you see Jesus talk about in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he is with us. He was with them. But then there's also this other face with thing that we're talking about. Because we're also instructed to seek his face. Like in Psalms 105, it's like, look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. So this is what it's talking about. It's like, yeah, God's everywhere, but he's also like, you need to seek him, you know. And... There's times when God shows up, and it's a serious thing when he does. John Piper described it like this. There's a sense in which God's presence is not with us always. Just a sense, all right? These are hard things to grasp. So, for this reason, the Bible repeatedly calls us to seek the Lord. God's manifest, conscious, trusted presence is not our, con- our constant experience. True. There are seasons when we become neglectful of God and give him no thought and do not put trust in him. But we find him unmanifested, in a sense. That is, unperceived as great and beautiful and valuable by the eyes of our hearts. His face, the brightness of his personal character, is hidden behind the curtain of our carnal desires. And he's using tabernacle language there. We, we block ourselves off from God, you know. The condition is always ready to overtake us. That is why we are told to seek his presence continually. God will call us to enjoy continual consciousness of his supreme greatness, beauty, and worth. And there's times, like I said, when God shows up, God's presence is a serious thing. Moses asked God straight up to see his face because God's like, I'll do anything you want. And he's like, I'd like to see you then. And God's like, okay, if I do that, you'll die. So here's what I will do. Um, He said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And that's what the Lord said. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then he says, I'll let you see my back. 
big deal stuff here. When Isaiah, like you see Isaiah sees the presence of God in, in those famous verses in chapter 6. Um, I saw the Lord and his presence filled the temple, the train of his robe, that whole bit, you know. His reaction is this, right? So seeing the presence of God is like, oh, he goes, Whoa, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so that is what we're talking about being when it says enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So this is like big deal stuff, right? And you see even this in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking to Peter the first time in his boat, and Peter's like, hey, man, like, I need you, you need to leave because I am not. When you encounter the presence of God, it does this kind of, you immediately know where you stand, right? But that's what was enthroned on the cherubim of the ark that they're going to get. The literal, actual presence of God himself, okay? So let's continue with this story. So all these guys go to get the ark, 30,000. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which, is, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out, and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this, his, irre, his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. So, if you're like me, to our modern ears, that's like, whoa. Like, that escalated quickly. And it did. Because here you are, Moving the ark, you're like, we got a new cart. We didn't get the old one. Like, we got a nice one, and we put it on here, and it's like we're celebrating. It looks to a pat, like, this is a pretty big deal. We're celebrating, right? We celebrate God. We're celebrating him. We're honoring him. We give him the new cart. Everything's great. What's wrong with this picture, right? But here's the thing. God had given them instructions about his presence and how to handle it, and they weren't following them. Check this out. This is Numbers 4.15. And this is God's like, hey, look, I'm giving you the instructions about all this stuff. And it's kind of a big deal because I'm coming to go around with you guys. But remember the whole thing about Moses? Like, I want to see your face. He's like, if you see it, you're going to die. You know what I mean? So he's like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to set this thing up. But you got to follow what I'm saying to you because it's a big deal. It's not like, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. Here, read this. After Aaron, who's the priest, you know, and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles. And when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come and to do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So there's other things besides just the Ark of the Covenant. And God was like, look, you can't touch this stuff once it's consecrated for this use. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have these poles that you put in there. And once they're in there, you don't take them out. And you carry the whole thing. You don't put it in a cart. You carry it. And you certainly don't touch it or you will die. Does that sound kind of like what God says to Adam and Eve? Like, don't do this or you'll die. And it's kind of like how God is the whole time. And that is one part in Indiana Jones. They take the top off 
but then their faces melt off. So maybe they got that a little bit right. But I'm not saying God's going to melt your face off, but either way, you end up dead at the end. So you don't play around with that. Anyway, move on from that. Um, the point is about doing what God says the way, he's, the way he says to, which is so offensive to us because we're like, what's the big deal? You know, but God said it was a big deal. He told it very plainly, this is a big deal and this is how we're going to have to do it. So I'm going to leave that because that might, it might still upset you. You might go like, yeah, but isn't God like cool with things? The answer is yes, but he's also extremely serious. And there's this kindness and severity of God that you read about in the New Testament. You know, it doesn't go away. It's not like, well, Jesus made it all cool, right? It's like, no, it's still the same. This is the presence of God we were just singing about. Great high priest, you've made a way for me to enter the Holy of Holies is where this box was. You see what I'm saying? That's the same presence of God. This isn't some sort of legendary story like King Arthur that we're like, oh, yeah, you know, that's how people were. But this is the real world. This is part of that. This was just a long time ago. God has done some other things that help us see other angles and stuff. But the presence of God is the presence of God. But David was also upset by this. He keeps reading here. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against us. I think he was probably like, what happened? Like, just how we would be. Like, we're doing, like, we're making a, that, it's kind of out of nowhere. We've got the new cart. We're celebrating everything. 30,000 guys are here. This is a big deal. And now there's a guy dead. You've got to take a minute and go, what just happened? And he was mad. He's like, and I would probably be frustrated too. Like, I thought we were doing this the right way. That's what I thought we were doing. All right? David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? This is where we start to understand what I'm talking about, whether the presence of God, this word fear here. And I want to make some clear, clear statements about this. You know, Proverbs, you've probably heard this famous verse, like the fear of the Lord, this is nine, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's kind of like a core, if you want to like have some sort of way of understanding the world, the real world, this is a core piece of it. So this fear of the Lord, to understand that well, and understand it even in this story, and the story is actually a good doorway into it, is not the same fear of being afraid of an abusive father, Okay? Like, I have to be worried he's going to come home drunk or something, and he's going to, I'm going to say something wrong, and he's going to arbitrarily beat me because he's some sort of, you know, there's nothing like that. God is loving and kind, but he's extremely powerful. You see what I'm saying? And that kind of power has to be ultimately respected. We don't just touch it. You see what I'm saying? You don't just touch it like that. Especially when he's told you not to. You see what I'm saying? And this understanding of, and what I mean by, that's where this word holiness comes from. Holy means other than. He's other than us. We are humans created in his image. He's the creator. And so there's an, there's an always forever difference between us. We aren't the same as God. That's why we worship him. And 
Even some of the things he does are the kinds of things only he can do that we can't do. And I don't just mean can do like heal a foot, but I also mean like there's things that it's right for him to do and it's wrong for us to do. Okay? This is getting a little deeper than I was wanting to. But God had given, the, had given Israel the privilege and responsibility of having the presence of Almighty God with them. But somehow, some of the seriousness of that arrangement was forgotten by some of them, you know, which is evidenced in this story. And we have to be on guard about that in our own lives. This isn't one of those things where you go, I would have never done that. You don't know what you would have done. You probably would have been right there with everybody else. They thought they were honoring God by what they were doing. There's a lot of things I think, and this is a warning to the church, and I mean church as all of us and everything that calls itself the church and the world that we're a part of. A lot of things we do that I think we even think we're honoring God with, and it probably isn't. It might be something way closer to this, and I don't have a list in my head when I'm saying that, but I feel the warning of this sort of thing. So that we need to be on guard about this in our own lives because it's easiest to take God for granted. So continue with the story. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. So this dude just has the thing in his house. Now, I'm pretty sure that guy is... uh, um, Oh, I missed something. Sorry, my iPad messed up. Let me go back really quick. Sorry, this is... So it had been in Abinadab's house. You say, like, well, why did this happen? When you talk about, like, taking the word of God for granted or, or the presence of God for granted, that guy had had it in his house for a while, and his sons had grown up around the thing, right? You see what I'm saying? And so, like, <clears throat> hear me out on this. Like, I grew up going to church, too, so it's cool. Like, I'm not being down on people who grew up going to church, okay? Y'all, y'all with me there? So if you're like, I grew up to church my whole life, you're like, why are you talking bad about me? I'm not talking bad about you. What I'm saying is... Um, sometimes when you grow up around something like nice people, like the people of God, you go like, well, that's just how people are. It's not how people are, you know, or you grow up around the church and you go, well, that's, you know, this is just a thing we do for ourselves, I guess, or whatever. And then you run into somebody that like really was messed up that God saved. And they're like, this is the biggest deal in the entire world. And you go like, I mean, it's not that big a deal. I mean, come on, you know. It's just this thing we do, you know. It makes some of us feel good. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, you've probably had some conversations like this or felt convicted like that when you hear somebody share a testimony. And it's not that you can't get there from being there, but there's a danger specifically. If you grow up with the Ark of the Covenant in your house, you, you, there's a proximity to it that you start taking for granted. Like, it's not in the tent that it's supposed to be in. It's not covered by the curtains that it's supposed to be covered by. And there's not guys, like, putting blood on it and stuff, following these instructions of God. It's like, you're holding on to it for everybody. You know, it's like, don't leave your shirt on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, I'm sure they probably didn't do that. But the point is, you get used to the presence of God as if it's just, it's just this thing in our house, you know? I mean, it's a big deal. I'm thankful. I'm happy that it's here. Of course, you know, but then you start to take, you, you don't take it as seriously as you're supposed to. That's the thing. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be familiar with God in the sense of a relationship, certainly with Jesus, the Holy Spirit and everything. But there's an always reminder that we, I think, in our culture tend to forget that he's completely different and ultimately supreme, which we'll get to in the end. So I think that that might have been part of the, the issue here with these guys, because it says this is Abinadab's family, Uzzah, that touched it. I think he probably had just gotten used to it being around. 
because it was always around. But then when you're around somebody who's not always around it, they take it really serious. But they put it in another guy's house, right? Because um, they're like, look, we can't take this in right now because we don't know what's going on. We're going to put it in your house for a while. And I'm sure that guy was like, oh, good. <laughs> you know? I'd be like, put that in the spare room and shut the door and lock it. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway, I'm being funny. But, you know, uh, the funny, this is what's interesting. For, it was in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So that guy had it worked out, you know. And now David was king, and the Lord blessed his, or now David was told. So, like, David goes away for three months, kind of frustrated and upset, like it says, and afraid of God. He's like, look, I can't take this in right now. i got to figure out what's going on. You take it for a second. And then he hears from these people. He gets told this. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. David's like, okay, i got it. I got to get this in my life, all right? I need this revival of the Lord in my life, you know? Because God's presence, it's God's presence, and God is good. So it's a good thing to have God's presence in your life. He's a blessing, you know? And I don't want to just reduce God's presence to just how much it blesses us, but it does bless us. You see what I'm saying? It's the only true life when Jesus preaches the hard message and everybody leaves, his disciples. He's like, are you guys going to leave too? He's like, only you have the words of life. So... This is what we're talking about. So David's like, okay, we've got to go get this thing. But I think they read up on it this time. And you can see that. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, which is a priestly robe, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David. So, very similar to what they'd just done, but with a very minor detail changes, which God said is a big deal. And you might go, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. But when God says something's a big deal, it's a big deal. We might be right or wrong on what's a big deal or not, you know. But God isn't wrong about that. So this one change is a big change, a big deal. And David, they're all celebrating. They're like, yes, you know, the presence of God is with us. And they're rejoicing over that. They feel the blessing of it, which it is. When you encounter God in your life, like we were just praying for the youth on this youth camp, the, the, the joy that floods your soul, like the songs say, or the weight that is lifted, or just... Everything changes. This is what they're experiencing right now, this kind of salvation of sorts. And keep reading. All of Israel bring up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, listen to this, though, all right? Michael, daughter of Saul, was watching from a window. And as, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it, in its place inside the tent of David had pitched for. So they're starting to get these things right again, right? Like God had said from the beginning. And they sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And these are all worshipful acts, properly responding to God's presence. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> this is kind of like the revival stuff we were just talking about. Like the presence of God is with us now. You can see it. We're feeling it. He's blessing all of us now. This is, like, legit. It's real, you know. And then he gave a, I mean, we're just going to have a good time. He's giving a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd. So it's like a big party. 
God's presence, big party, we're all like totally celebrating, right? Totally celebrating. He gave them to both men and women. All the people went to their homes, celebrating the presence of God with them. And so that's what it feels like to encounter the presence of God. First, it's terrifying, and then the reality of like, oh my gosh, I'm not in charge. Oh my gosh, you know, like there's a repenting phase, and then there's a releasing phase of like the joy of God, you know what I mean? And it was happening in their midst. They'd gotten it wrong. They've repented. They've gotten it right. They're doing it right. And we, we experience this in our lives, but this is the interesting thing. Because you think, why would anybody have a problem with that? You know? Like, this is such a great thing, obviously, you know, that God's presence is now in my life. Like, can't you see what God has done? And David was celebrating before the Lord as he should have, as we all should have, when you realize all these things. When the, that thing happens to you, you can't help but rejoice. And so David does. But this is what happens. When David returned home to bless his own household, right? So he's been blessing everybody. I'm blessing you, I'm blessing you, take some raisins and things, and like we're all happy. We're, you know. Now I'm going to go home and pray for my own house, and my own household. McCall, daughter of Saul, who was one of his wives, you know, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. That was her talking about David worshiping before God, going about and being vulgar and, you know, how he had distinguished himself, right? David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. And then this is what he says here. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And here's the punchline, guys. And McCall, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So there's a couple things in this. People don't always react positively to you encountering God in your life and, the ch- and what happens. I would say oftentimes a lot of them don't. A lot of people do, and that's why it's great to have a church of people that can celebrate with you. But then sometimes when you go home or go to work, you know, when you go to that household, it's not there. And sometimes they're going to be very critical. And here's the other thing. This is a really big warning is you don't want to be that critical person. When you see God touch somebody's life and all of the weight and worry and pain and the healings that God does, all of those kinds of things, which God does in people. And, he, and sometimes it's just, they come before God and their whole life has changed in an instant. I don't know, it doesn't always happen, but a lot, sometimes it does, you know. And you could just stand there like, whatever, you know. I'm sure that's real, you know, that kind of thing. There's a, what ends up happening in your life is you become barren. So, we don't want to become the people who criticize the worship of others. And this is a pretty hard, hard message. Didn't think it would come out this way. But uh, the two things, people don't always react positive when you encounter God. 
But you better be sure as heck to be careful to not criticize other people encountering God as well. Let me wrap this up. God's presence, come on up, Michaela. God's presence is serious, and it's wonderful, but it's serious. And, he, and, and there's two parts to this. A lot of us, this is the first part, a lot of us, I think, really like talking about God, really like aspects of the stuff I'm talking about. Like, parts of what you're talking about sound kind of cool. Like, God doing miracles in people's, or God, like, you know, healing me of this worry and or me being able to cast my cares upon him and his yoke being easy and his burden. Like, all that sounds really good. But, like, I don't really like this don't touch it thing or this, you know, some of this holy stuff scares me. Or, you know, I don't understand what God did here, so maybe I don't like him very much. Or, you know, like, there's this kind of, I want all of the parts I like about God, and I don't want the parts I don't like about God. Maybe I, I don't like it when God s- makes me feel bad for doing some of these things I like. You know, these these things that I just do in secret, I don't tell anybody about. I don't think they're a big deal. They don't hurt anyone. And But I feel like sometimes it makes me feel bad about myself when I do these things, which are sinful. You see what I'm saying? But I don't want that part of God. I want the part of God that makes me feel good at night just for me being me. And that part exists. So we start to try to cut God up like, I want to take some of this, keep that over there. Or maybe I'll just, I want just enough God in my life that I can feel better about things, but not enough to where he like takes over. I mean, like, come on, you know. The problem is, and that's why this kind of story is an important reminder, there is no option. The only way it makes sense to encounter or to interact with God is like what happens in these stories here. Now, maybe all of us won't experience all of it, And I sure hope that we don't irreverently reach our hand out to take hold of something God tells us not to, you know, because of its holiness. I hope we don't do that. But I hope that what we can see in this (laughs) is God has one way, though it might come out in many different flavorings or something like that, When he encounters us, he can't be anything but himself. And he is God. He's all-powerful God. He's holy. We are not holy. And so what ends up happening there is we become undignified. Either because we realize it and we celebrate that undignifiedness (laughs) through worship like David does, or we become undignified because we get jacked up like the other guy did. You don't get out of it. There's no like, Jesus is kind of like my buddy and we hang out and he makes me feel good about things. God only enters in a totally taking over sort of way. And I don't mean that. I realize that all these things I'm saying have probably mental images that are associated with them and some of those may not be the best, but it's still the truth. God's not abusive. God's not cruel. God is kind, just, he's right, but he's also God, okay? And so he opens the path for us to be back together with him through the actions of what Jesus did. Jesus is God 
you have to under, have this understanding of God to understand why how crazy the Christmas story is. That God's like, you know what? I'm going to go be a person to be with them. And you see all this imagery of tabernacle in Jesus doing that. All these kinds of things coming, God's presence coming into the human world in flesh. And then he does all these things among people. And then he dies on our behalf, which is, but if you don't understand this, this, this kind of, this is God who if you touch the box he says not to touch, you die. It's the same one who goes, I'm going to come down and do this thing. And if you understand it from this way, you'll go, whoa, whoa, we don't deserve that. You know, if you come at it, you're like, eh. I mean, I would die for everybody. You can miss what's really happening here. God is not a good roommate or a good buddy. He's only good at being God. And when God shows up, he takes over because that's the only thing he can do because he's God and we are not. And truly, that is the biggest breath of fresh air that we all probably need. The understanding that since the fall of Adam and Eve, we're like, we want to be like gods ourselves. And the knowledge that you are not. (laughs) But God doesn't expect you to be. He expects to be God. He's going to do his own part. He's going to do that part. But provide for us through Jesus. This is where that scripture, the song we were just reading, it's in Hebrews. Jesus, the great high priest. And I wanted to lay out this whole thing about the holiness of God so that we could understand some of this scripture that like, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, Jesus, that holy God who you can't touch, came and lived in a human body and was tempted like we just talked about in in the wilderness. And he was without sin, even living the whole world life like we did. Yet he did not sin. And because of what he did, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we can now have confidence to approach this holiness, realizing that we are the amazing grace, how sweet the sound of the Savior, wretch, like that's us. That we are undignified. But I can just own that. Like, I'm not God. And neither are you. But I know who is. I mean, I can worship him. But I am not him. And I don't have to act like I am. Or act like I got it all worked out. Because we're told to seek his face. And and it's. I, th- I kind of feel like, I guess, the main thing to take away from this is this realization that our undignifiedness is, is ever-present. And it's going to show up at some point or not. The best way is to confidently approach the throne of grace and receive the mercy that he's offering because he's offering it to each and every one of us so let me close I'll pray and we'll sing a worship song if you want to come forward to approach the throne of grace with the Lord we can lay hands and pray with you and um, so Father I pray that you would stir up in our hearts what you want us to take away from this an understanding of your holiness an understanding of your your goodness your utter difference us yet in spite of that your utter determinance to redeem us and be with us and set us free from sin 
pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name. Feel free to come forward if you want to pray and Kay will lead us in worship. If not, you can stand and receive.